Well, hey, good morning, everybody. I want to welcome you to Plum Creek's second ever online-only worship service. If you're new to our church or you've never been to our physical location, we're glad you're with us. These are strange times, no doubt about it. But one thing I try to remember is that no matter what we're going through, we always have reasons to be thankful. One thing I'm thankful for this morning is that God is still on his throne and he still cares for each one of us. I'm also thankful that I'm seeing many of you reaching out to help others in the name of Jesus. One example is our food share. It still happened yesterday, even though it was a drive through version. There are lots of other examples of you guys reaching out and, and helping and serving. One more thing that I'm thankful for is that through the internet, some of you are getting to know Palm Creek for the very first time. And that's a good thing. I'm so glad that we have this opportunity to connect online. Honestly, though, I do miss being together in person. Two weeks ago, I stood on this stage and I made a very brief announcement about the coronavirus I said, we're monitoring the situation, and I'll let you know if we have to do anything different than what we normally do. It's kind of funny to look back on that. Two weeks ago, I was clueless. I had no idea this crisis would escalate so quickly. I had no idea things would get so extreme. Kind of reminds me of a verse in the book, in the book of Proverbs, which says, Do not boast about tomorrow. For you do not know what a day may bring. You don't know what a day may bring. Ain't that the truth? <laughs> we didn't see this coming, did we? And now we're all trying to figure out the new normal, but it's not easy because things keep changing. I hear a lot of people say they're feeling overwhelmed. And that makes sense because so many things are coming at us right now. We're bombarded with updates about the virus itself. Every day we get new limitations on where we can go and what we can do. A lot of us parents are trying to figure out homeschool for the first time. And we're also concerned about our jobs and a very unstable economy. You put all of these things together and yeah, it's stressful. It is overwhelming. So for the next few minutes, I invite you to just take a breath. Literally, take a moment to breathe in and then breathe out. For the rest of this service, let's step away from all the noise and the concerns and the worries around us. Instead of focusing on those things, let's focus on Jesus. And you know, in this online format, focus can be a challenge. Like I said last week, I was praying that we'd all be together again soon, but unfortunately, it looks like we'll be worshiping this way for a while. Like Jared said, our Sunday services will be online, at least through Easter. And since this is the plan for the near future, I want to say a word about how all of us approach this worship service. We don't want to get isolated, either from God or from each other. So, how do we handle this? Well, there's a reason that God says, don't forsake the practice of getting together for worship. He says that because he knows we need it. So I want to encourage all of us to treat this worship service as a holy thing. 
When something is holy, it's set aside for a spiritual purpose. So think of 10.45 a.m. every Sunday morning as a holy time. Think of your living room or whatever space you're in as a holy place. And that's different than how we normally watch TV, right? A lot of times TV is just background noise while we do something else. Some of us like to talk back and forth during a movie or a TV show. I could name names here, but I won't do that. For the next few weeks, though, as we meet together online, let's make this a true worship service. When the team is out here singing, sing along, share your heart with God. And when you hear God's word being preached, listen to him. Let him speak to your heart. Last Sunday, I got an email from a parent of one of our high schoolers. This dad sent me a picture of his son's notes from the sermon. I want to show you a screenshot of those notes. This is very, very cool. This high school student was watching the service online from home, and he was really tracking with what we learned from Scripture. This guy is making the most of his time. And so I just encourage all of us to do the same thing. And as I think about today's message, I really have one main goal. And here it is. I just want us to see Jesus. In the middle of all this craziness, I'm convinced that's what we all need. We need a clearer view of Jesus. We're starting a new series today called Jesus Changes Everything. We're coming to the end of our long journey through the gospel story. This started last September. We've been following the story of Jesus, and we're now on the home stretch. Our journey comes to an end on Easter Sunday. And before we get to the conclusion, I want to go back and remember why we're doing this in the first place. Why are we spending eight months with a specific focus on Jesus? Is it about hearing a bunch of good stories? Is it about getting some life lessons from the most inspiring teacher in history? Well, the stories are good, and the lessons are inspiring. But the real reason we're on this journey is because Jesus changes everything. He changes our past, He changes our present, and He changes our future. Without Him, we are lost and hopeless. But with him, we can overcome every challenge and every enemy we could ever face. There is no problem in your life that does not have a Jesus solution. Now, some might question that. They might say, come on, seriously. What about the coronavirus? Will Jesus actually do something to change this crazy situation that we're in? Well, what's the name of this new series? Jesus Changes everything. But if we're going to understand how Jesus changes everything, we need to see him more clearly. I've said this before. It doesn't matter who you are. You, me, everybody else. Our view of Jesus is not clear enough. Our view of Jesus is not high enough. So let's jump into the conclusion of this gospel journey with our eyes open and our ears open and our hearts open. This morning, we're going to look at the Gospel of John, chapter 12, and we'll see how Jesus can change us in three specific ways. Let me tell you where we are in the story. We're entering the final week of Jesus. 
We're leading up to the crucifixion and the resurrection. And this is the week where Jesus changes everything. This is the week where he redefines history. Now, many of you know the crucifixion takes place in the city of Jerusalem. And several months before the crucifixion, Jesus is in Jerusalem and he runs into some trouble. Do you remember that? We talked about this a couple weeks ago. There was a particular group of Jews that didn't like what Jesus had to say, so they tried to stone him. They tried to kill him. But Jesus got away. He left town with his disciples, and they travel out east, and they spend some time in a different region. Before long, though, Jesus came back. Do you remember why? His friend Lazarus, his good friend, got sick, and he died. This was our story two weeks ago. It was the greatest miracle in Jesus' ministry. Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. He brought this guy back to life. And there were some major repercussions from this miracle. A lot of people were super impressed, understandably, and many of them became followers of Jesus. However, there was a different group that was not impressed. The, the religious leaders, the, the Pharisees, even before the resurrection of Lazarus, the Pharisees had been trying to stop Jesus. They tried to discredit him as a teacher and a leader and a potential king. The Pharisees saw Jesus as a threat on two levels. Number one, if this Jesus movement got out of hand, then he could lead a revolt. And that would bring down the wrath of the Roman Empire on all of them. All of the Jews would suffer. That's how they saw it. The second threat was more personal. As more and more people looked to Jesus as a leader, the Pharisees were at risk of becoming irrelevant. They could lose their authority and their influence and their powerful positions, so they just weren't going to sit back and let that happen. The Jewish religious leaders put out an APB. They want Jesus arrested. They want Jesus dead at the end of John chapter 11, we read these words. And this is right after Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. So from that day on, they plotted to take his life. And that's where we'll pick up today's story. The stage is set for John chapter 12. In this chapter, we're about two months after the resurrection of Lazarus, and we're just a week before Jesus goes to the cross. And at this critical time, Jesus returns to the town of Bethany. Now, you might remember, Bethany is where Lazarus was from. He lived there with his two sisters, Mary and Martha. So Jesus comes back to visit his friends, and they throw him a nice dinner party. And it's at this dinner party that something remarkable happens. Let's read this together. John chapter 12, starting with verse 1. It says, Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here, a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. 
Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Now, this is an amazing story. Mary, the sister of Lazarus, pours expensive perfume over Jesus' feet and then wipes it up with her hair. This story appears in three of the four gospel books in the Bible. You can read it in Matthew, Mark, and here in John. In the book of Mark, Jesus says, Wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what this woman has done will also be told in memory of her. And here we are doing exactly that. So let's think about what's going on here. This whole scene is kind of strange for us. I have visited a lot of different people in a lot of different homes, and no one has ever poured perfume over my feet. In the time of the Bible, though, it was fairly common for a host to offer perfume to a guest, and you could probably figure out the reason for that. We're in the region of Judea here. Judea was hot and arid. Water was scarce. And when water is scarce, baths are scarce. And when baths are scarce, it's a good idea to have some perfume. So when Mary brings out the perfume, that would not be shocking. The others in the house would see Mary as a kind and generous hostess. But what comes next goes far beyond the bounds of normal generosity. Mary pours out a whole pint of pure nard. Have you ever seen a pint of nard? I haven't either, but we're talking about a lot of nard here. <laughs> so what is this stuff? Well, nard, it's an herb that's grown in the high pasture lands of the Himalayan mountains. It's way out there in Tibet and India. This perfume traveled over 2,500 miles to get to the village of Bethany. And in the first century, 2,500 miles is an enormous distance. And that's partly why nard was so expensive. The, the amount that Mary poured out was worth a year's wages, at least 30,000 of our dollars. Now, unless Mary and Martha and Lazarus were incredibly wealthy, and we have no reason to believe that they were, this would have been the most valuable possession in their entire household. So why in the world would Mary be so impetuous here, so wasteful, so extravagant? No one needs a whole pint of perfume. I don't care who you are. I don't care how bad you stink. But Mary has a different perspective. Yes, it's true. Nobody needs this much perfume unless you're dead. And that's precisely the point. In Matthew's account, Jesus says, she has done a beautiful thing to me. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for my burial. You see, Mary saw Jesus more clearly than anyone else in the room outside of Jesus himself. Somehow she knows that Jesus is about to die. He's about to sacrifice his life out of love for us. 
So Mary makes her own sacrifice, and she's motivated by her own love. And right here, this is the first example of how Jesus changes us. When you see Jesus clearly, money has no hold on you. You don't value money the way other people do because you know that Jesus has infinitely more value. He's the real treasure in your life. And if he asks you to give away all of your money, it's no problem. Now, this kind of thinking makes some people nervous, but the reality is it's very freeing. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Over the past few weeks, the stock market has been on a roller coaster ride, and that instability can be very unsettling. But if you look at what's happened in the past, instability in the market is very common. Check out this chart. This chart shows the Dow Jones Industrial Average over the past 20 years. And you can see several spikes, but there are also some major nosedives, right? This low point here, this was right after 9-11. And this one, this is the recession that took place in uh, 2008, 2009. And then way over here to the right, this major drop, that's where we are right now. So why am I showing you this? Well, for a lot of people, this line is directly connected to their emotions. When the line is up, I feel happy and secure. But when the line is down, I feel down. I feel anxious, maybe depressed. So what does it mean when my emotional well-being is dictated by the ups and downs of my personal bank account or the economy at large? Well, it means money has a hold on me. But look at Mary. She's like, break the jar, spill the perfume. It doesn't matter. And why doesn't it matter? It's because she's kneeling next to someone of infinite worth. Mary's valuation of Jesus is far more than all the wealth in the world, more than life itself. So money, it has no hold on her. And do you know what that meant for her emotional state? It meant peace. The kind of peace that transcends understanding. And as you go through a financial crisis like the one we're in now, wouldn't you like to have that peace? You can if you see Jesus for who he really is. But not everyone is ready to do that. Judas certainly wasn't ready. If he had gotten his way, Mary would have kept that nard in the jar and given it to Jesus as a gift. That way, Judas could sell it and skim off some of the profits for himself. Now, he acts like he cares about the poor, but that's just a smokescreen, of course, and Jesus sees right through it. He's like, Judas, back off. Mary has her priorities right where they should be. Now, of course, that comment does not go over well with Judas. The Gospel of Mark adds an epilogue to the story. Mark 14, verse 10. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priests to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money. So he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. And do you see what's happening here? This is the breaking point for Judas. Up until this time, Judas thought of Jesus as something like a golden ticket. 
Jesus was clearly going places, and Judas was planning to ride his coattails for his own personal profit. But now he sees that Jesus is a different kind of leader. Jesus doesn't care about money. He doesn't care about personal gain. So Judas joins the other team. Money had such a hold on his life and his heart, he couldn't see the Savior who was right in front of him. Judas could have chosen freedom, but he chose slavery instead. And in a similar way, the Pharisees make the same decision. Now, they don't seem to care as much about wealth. It's really more about pride and power. Of course, Jesus has them pegged, too. Over in Matthew 23, Jesus describes the Pharisees and the other religious leaders. He says, Everything they do is done for people to see. They make their phylacteries wide. And by the way, phylacteries were prayer boxes with Scripture verses inside. They wore them on their heads and their arms. So they make their phylacteries wide and the tassels on their garments long. They love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi by others. So you can see why the Pharisees would be devastated to lose their positions of power and prestige. For them, this is what life was all about. This was where they found their identity and their value. So no, they can't allow people to keep running to Jesus. The Pharisees had a problem, though. It was getting more and more difficult to control the opinions of the general public. The biggest problem is the raising of Lazarus. They can't deny it. There were too many witnesses. The news was spreading all over Jerusalem. So the religious leaders try to undo that miracle by killing both Jesus and Lazarus. Let's go back to John 12. Verse 9 says, Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came, not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. For on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. They're starting to look desperate, aren't they? They're willing to do pretty much anything to keep their place in society. And do you know why they got to that point? I'll tell you why. They did not have a clear view of Jesus. When you see Jesus clearly, you're not driven by pride or power. It's another way that he changes us. You don't mind giving up your status. You don't mind giving up control because you know that Jesus will always do what is best for you. You know that he'll give you the kind of life that you could never achieve on your own. Jesus will give you the kind of life that is truly life. When you see him clearly, you don't care what other people think. You don't care about your image. You're willing to be humiliated for him. Think about Mary. After she poured the perfume over Jesus' feet, what did she do? She wiped his feet with her hair. Now, that was a different culture and a different time, but even then, what Mary did was not normal. Women didn't go around wiping a man's dirty feet with their hair. Mary's actions were borderline scandalous. So why did she go there? 
You know, they had towels back then. Why not use one of those? Well, once again, Mary saw Jesus far more clearly than the Pharisees or Judas or the other disciples or pretty much anyone else. She knew that compared to Jesus, her pride was worth nothing. So when Jesus was here on earth, why didn't more people see him for who he is? They heard his teaching. They witnessed his miracles. Why was it not obvious to everyone that Jesus was the Messiah, the Son of God? Well, the people of that time had the same challenge that we have here in our time. In the same way that Jesus was right in front of them, he's also right in front of us. Here's what I mean. Here's an example. As we read Scripture today, Jesus is revealing himself through God's Word. The question is, are we paying attention? Are we willing to see him? Are we willing to grow in our understanding of who he is? If we stay focused on our own circumstances and our own worries and our own desires and our own agendas, we're probably going to miss him. But if we open our eyes and our ears and our hearts, if we pay attention, he will reveal himself to us. Back in John 12, Jesus reveals himself to a large crowd in Jerusalem. We left off at verse 11, but let's keep reading, starting at verse 12. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Blessed is the King of Israel! Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, as it is written. Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. Now, if you've been around church for a while, you're probably familiar with this story. It's often called the triumphal entry. This is the event that we celebrate on Palm Sunday, which is the week before Easter. We're reading it just a couple weeks early. But do you see what Jesus is doing here? He's revealing himself to the crowds. He's sending a clear message that he is their Messiah and their king. One big clue is the fact that he rides in on a donkey. When Jesus rode that donkey into town, he fulfilled an ancient prophecy from the Old Testament prophet named Zechariah. Hundreds of years earlier, Zechariah said, Jerusalem, your king is coming. But he won't be riding a war horse like some military hero. He'll be sitting on a donkey's colt. The Jewish scholars often believed this prophecy was about the Messiah. So Jesus is unmistakably saying, yes, it's me. I'm the one you've been waiting for. Jesus wanted the people to understand who he was. And at least some of the crowd was starting to get it. They shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. But the Pharisees were not shouting. They were still blinded by their own pride. After that triumphal entry, John 12, 19 says, So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. We're getting close to the end. The battle lines are drawn. The major players are all in place. Jesus is in Jerusalem. Judas is ready to betray him. 
and the Pharisees are out for blood. For Jesus, this final week will be very difficult. The cross is coming. And that brings us to the last thing I want us to see this morning. Jesus is about to go, some, go through something very painful, and he does it for us. Just a few days after that Palm Sunday, the crucifixion and the resurrection will change everything. What Jesus accomplished on that weekend can absolutely change how you face every single day for the rest of your life. Jesus will get you through any trial and any struggle. When we see Jesus clearly, we can hold on to hope even when life gets hard. This is the final truth we'll look at today. It's one more example of the way Jesus changes us. You know, even before this whole mess with the coronavirus, I've been amazed at the amount of pain and suffering in this world. I've seen it on the news, but I've also seen it in my own family. I've seen it in this church. It's kind of crazy when you think about it. We spend so much of our lives trying to get to a place where we're all comfortable and happy and we have everything that we need and everything that we want. And for some people, for just a moment, we feel like we actually got there. And that's when you say, okay, nobody move, nobody breathe. we we got to hold on to this good thing. We don't want to lose it. But it doesn't last, does it? Sooner or later, somebody breathes. A son or a daughter goes off the rails. Somebody loses a job. Somebody gets a terrible diagnosis. The hard times will come. We can't escape them forever. The question is, when life gets hard, what difference does Jesus make? Well, let's go back to John 12 one more time and hear what Jesus has to say. John 12, verse 23, he says, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, It remains only a single seed, but if it dies, it produces many seeds. So what is Jesus talking about there? Well, it's pretty clear that he's talking about himself. He is the kernel of wheat that will die in order to bring new life. That was the mission that Jesus had in mind from the beginning. He would lay down his life on the cross to pay the price for our sins, so that you and I could be forgiven, so that you and I could have a restored relationship with God and live with Him forever. So when Jesus talks about the kernel of wheat, He's definitely referring to Himself, but not just Himself. He's also talking about us. Let's read the very next verse. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Now, this is one of those extreme statements from Jesus. He says, if you want eternal life, you can't love this life. You need to hate this life. And if I'm being completely honest, I sometimes think to myself, Jesus, why do you have to be so extreme? But what's our big idea for today? The big idea is that we all need a clearer view of Jesus. We need to see him for who he is We need to give him a valuation that's based on his actual value. Now, that's what Mary did, right? Compared to Jesus, what was her money worth? 
Nothing. And compared to Jesus, what was her pride worth? Nothing. So let's make the leap. Compared to Jesus, what's the worth of our own lives? And when I say that, I'm talking about your life here and now. I'm talking about all of your plans and dreams and hopes for this world. Well, it's the same deal. Compared to Jesus, the things of this world have no real value. The life he offers is far, far better than any life we would hold on to here. But this is where it gets tough, right? Jesus says, I am the kernel of wheat that has to die but you are too. You have to die to yourself so that you can really live, so that you can grow and become who I want you to be. But that means letting go of all of your plans and desires and hopes for this world, giving everything over to Jesus. And that kind of surrender is really difficult, isn't it? Why would anyone do that? Well, I think you know the answer, don't you? If we're going to surrender everything, we need a clearer view of Jesus. More specifically, we need a clear view of his love for us. So let me ask you, do you know how much Jesus loves you? It's hard to imagine, really. Uh, Jesus knows you at your worst, but he still loves you best, more than anyone else. He knew that you were a sinner, but he chose to lay down his life and die for you. And when he was on the cross, he already knew your name. He was heartbroken at the thought of being separated from you forever. So he went through unthinkable pain. He experienced death itself because he knew that was the only way he could offer you eternal life, the kind of life that is truly life. So if you have made that choice to surrender your life to him. This is what makes the difference. This is how you can hold on to hope when life gets hard. In the middle of suffering, you can say, Jesus, I know that you see me right now. You see what I'm going through, and I know that you love me, and I'm going to trust you that you will carry me through this and bring me to a place where my suffering is gone and forgotten. As I wrap up this morning, I'm thinking about Mary. I want to be more like Mary. Think about what you can say when you have Mary's perspective. You can say, even if I lose every penny that I have, it's totally fine as long as I have Jesus. And even if I lose all of my pride and I have to look like an idiot in front of other people, it's totally fine as long as I have Jesus. And even if I lose everything that I thought I wanted in this life, it's fine. It's totally fine as long as I have Jesus. You know, that doesn't always feel like the truth, but it is the truth. So I pray that we can take that perspective into this week, whatever this week brings I pray that we'll have the peace that comes from knowing Jesus. And if you've never surrendered, surrendered your life to him, I pray that you'll do that today. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for this time for us to just set aside an hour, set aside a place that is dedicated to you, 
to just share our hearts with you and to listen as you speak to our hearts. Lord, I thank you that you are still on your throne. I thank you that you care for each one of us. You have our best interests in mind. And Lord, I, I pray that uh, whatever this week brings, that we will be able to focus on Jesus and all the things that we have because of Jesus. And Lord, if there is someone listening to me right now who has not surrendered their life and put their faith in you and begun a relationship with you through Jesus, I pray that this person will take an active step to make that decision this week, even today. And Lord, I pray for, uh, for this world and, and everyone who's trying to navigate a very difficult situation. Lord, would you give us strength? Would you give us wisdom and patience and peace? Lord, I thank you for your love. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.